right, welcome back to Schoolhouse Cracked. Uh, I'm here with Dr. Motor Chandler, a good friend, but ultimately somebody who I respect uh, as a community member and as an educator. Dr. Motor Chandler, again, his background is in school counseling and guidance. Um, uh, his academic studies are heavy in, in psychology, and he's had an incredible career as a school uh, leader, including a school principal, and now he's at uh, the university level helping uh, guidance counselors and school counselors get ready for their careers. Yeah, again, welcome back to Schoolhouse Cracked. Again, with me is Mr. Brett Derrickson, lifelong educator, veteran administrator, and uh, a veteran of international education mm -hmm. as well, uh, teaching everything from business, social studies, leadership, economics, mm -hmm. uh, within the International Baccalaureate, mm -hmm. currently serving within the K-12 education system as an educational leader in administration. So. Again, welcome back to Schoolhouse Cracked. Uh, be sure to like and subscribe to us on YouTube at Schoolhouse Cracked. Uh, find us on Facebook, and be sure to download our podcasts on any variety of podcast platforms. Um, so today we're doing a bit of a follow-up, Brett, on uh, an episode um, we talked about teacher shortage and turnover, knowing that that's happening uh, as a national issue right now for, for a variety of reasons. There's a lot of variables there. Um, and so uh, looking at your thoughts and feedback, again, Feel free to send us your thoughts, feedback, what's happening in your schools, what's happening with your students' parents in their schools at schoolhousecracked at gmail.com. Um, but Brett, today we're going to be talking about how do we recruit teachers to fill those positions, um, teacher recruitment, and then how do we retain uh, those teachers that we do get in those positions, uh, once finding good people and then keeping good people. Yeah, I'm going to tell two quick stories real quick that it, I think is full circle. One is uh, we were on holiday in Ireland uh, last week, and my wife and I, who is also, uh, is perfect. She is somebody who was in education for 10 years, uh, even a state-recognized guidance counselor of the year, uh, as you've been as well, but a really huge honor. And now she's in the... In the uh, the business world doing other things, making more money and, and quite a bit more uh, satisfied, mm -hmm. even though she was successful. We sat down with, with two people in a pub in, in Ireland, and turns out that they were retired teachers, retired oh, Irish small teachers. World. Yeah. Small world. And we talked about the places that we've been, and uh, they have a, a child that's married an American, and, and they're living in uh, Canada, and we've talked about the changes. They started teaching in the 70s, and we've talked about the changes in the classroom. And different things and, and ultimately though what it came across to me was the amount of neat things that they had done in their lives that I know my young teachers want to do in their lives mm. own a home <laughs> travel yeah. Yeah. start a family at, that's at what, become an exciting event yeah have children at the age that that you that that you're ready not whether or not you've done enough financial planning in order to to have a child and it really struck me as we walked back to our hotel that that these folks were were really satisfied with their life and education little backdrop for you that, that i think is relevant to teacher retention and recruitment is i never saw a school in ireland and we, we were there for 12 days driving all over the country any bigger than my house mm -hmm. community-based schools yes yeah. yeah and and in here where we work we're into jumbo schools. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, if and they're they, not the size of malls, we don't build them. No, yeah. right. And uh, to switch over, we also just hired uh, at our school. I know you don't work with us anymore, but we hired a really incredible young lady out of college to be a Spanish teacher. I don't remember the last time I was this excited about a young person joining our community, but she's from another state. 
And we are terrified about how we're going to keep her with us and make sure she has the correct gear that she needs to have as an enthusiastic, intelligent person when she can maybe barely afford to live. She's already asked us if there's a roommate that she can have. I mean, college degree starting off as a profession, right. and she wants to share an apartment with anybody. Yeah. Uh, and the point for me also is I haven't even asked her yet if she could coach volleyball. <laughs> Which I'm going to ask her. And when I go to tell her, like, I know she doesn't play volleyball, I'm going to be like, well, do you like kids? I'll help you with volleyball and I'll give you a stipend. And so all all we're saying is... Which I'm sure a young teacher with those financial considerations is is going to take regardless of her interest in volleyball. uh, Yeah, and what I'm I'm ultimately saying... Unfortunately, that's that's the environment. Well, and what I'm saying to the audience, uh, to kids that might be listening and to families is I, as an assistant principal, am far too involved in this person's life mm-hmm. to try to help her become a teacher mm-hmm. and a successful teacher at my school. What I should be worried about with teacher retention is helping her be successful in the classroom mm-hmm. and within our school community. But now my job has gotten to big enough that I'm trying to help her feel like she can afford to come live and teach in a gorgeous and wonderful community that we live in. Well, I kind of have a couple different things going on in my head right now. I was on vacation at the same time you were on vacation. My my wife and I um, had an opportunity to uh, to go to Tanzania, climb Mount Kilimanjaro, kind of a lifelong lifelong goal. And, and I had some of the same observations: is uh, all of these schools they may have had a thousand students, but the school day, I'd see kids releasing at like two p.m. or one thirty p.m. Um, and, and mind you, there's there's some things there in regard to comparative education between our two countries, which I won't comment on. Um, but that was one thing that stood out to me is one smaller schools and then two, a shorter school day. Um, but I also had an opportunity on, on my climb to the summit of Kilimanjaro in my hiking group was a, uh, a veteran um, head of school from England, uh, mm-hmm. just outside of London named Serge. And he was a great guy. He complained the whole way up the mountain, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, but we had some great conversations and I had worked in a British school when I was in China. Um, and, and that kind of opened my eyes to some of the unique differences in what we ask our teachers to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's one year away from retirement. He'll be retiring at the end of next year after serving for like 32 years, uh, 22 of which as a head of two different schools. Um, and, and just kind of listening to uh, just how his life looks different to mine. And so uh, when I was a principal, and, and more often than not, when I would tell him a story and he'd tell me a story, we would both look at each other with this kind of like look of shock and awe. Like, that's your experience? That's your experience? Because they were so starkly different mm-hmm. um, in what yeah. we were asking teachers and educators to do. Um, and and he talked a bit about the role of the community and how – uh, and, and that's something we're going to get to here in a moment, but um, the trust the community had in him and the community that allowed teachers to feel invested and wanted to stay. But uh, we had several instances over the years, many schools and many states are having to cast wide nets and going to 30 or 40 out-of-state teacher career fairs to find teachers because their own states aren't producing enough out of their teacher education programs. And we find great candidates, right? We go to these out-of-state fairs, find great candidates. We're fortunate enough to live in Colorado, which is beautiful. And a lot of people want to move to Colorado, the mountain life, skiing, snowboarding. Um, And then they start to see the cost of living and the cost of properties. And we've got somebody who accepted a job. We've got somebody who's ready to move out to Colorado, very excited. And they just can't find some places to live. 
or the only place they can find to live is 45 minutes away from the school. So on rare instances, we've seen them accept a job and not be able to show up in August or accept the job. And we're, we're, we all know that we're going to have them for one year before they move close, they move yeah. the district closer to where they can afford to live. And let's yeah. also be clear too, folks, like transparency in, the, in regard to what, what uh, Marcus and I are, are passionate about, what we're trying to do here uh, with, with Schoolhouse Cracked is, is get solutions, mm-hmm. get people talking and thinking and sharing and, and, and a healthy democratic dialogue about what's, what's wonderful about our schools and how, and how we can even just maintain our standard of, of what we expect in, in this awesome country. I will say this also. You wouldn't have been in Kilimanjaro, and I wouldn't have been in Ireland if, if we, we weren't, weren't pulling professions. and if we weren't pulling administrator salaries. Correct. I mean, I make thirty to forty thousand dollars more than a teacher with the same years of experience and level of education that I have. Mm-hmm. What's thirty to forty thousand dollars? A trip with your family to Ireland, mm-hmm. and and maybe a not worrying about Outback Steakhouse for your kids. Right. you know, birthday. Right. So, you know, I'm just going to say it ab- absolutely clear. We're asking teachers to do uh, too much. And the compensation for, for doing too much is not only just financial. That's why I was talking about that young lady. Mm-hmm. I'm going to work hard with her to feel a part of our community. Mm-hmm. She's going to be surrounded by really great uh, colleagues. We work at a school with really cool and interesting and fun kids. There's no yeah, way you're going to walk out of our school at the end of the day and say it's not worth it mm-hmm. to, to try to teach these kids uh, Spanish at our school, what we we're going to ask her to do. But when I ask her to be the volleyball coach and when I ask her to be on this committee and then when I ask her to prepare for an active shooter drill and then when I ask her uh, to document every phone call she has because we now have to have you know an absolute record so that we can deal uh, with families who – who think that their their child's behavior hasn't been uh, communicated well enough, and then I ask again, and then I ask again uh, for more and more well, things. And, and, and not because you want to burn this young woman out, not because you want to ask her to do all these things, but when you're limited by just the number of people you have because of a shortage, you have to ask fewer people to do more things to backfill that, right? And, and we know that's an issue in all professions is we, we hear horror stories of, you know, um, uh, one of my colleagues resigned, and rather than fill the position, they just distributed the responsibilities to other people. Yeah, yeah. So let's go to recruitment. Let, let's let, let's see uh, if you don't mind using this uh, young lady as, yeah, a, as a case study. So we uh, live in Colorado. We are one of two school districts in our area, which has multiple school districts, many that have enough uh, either desire or money for us to send out some administrators and teachers to, to actually do recruiting. To a dozen different states. That's right. To and major so, recruitment phase. So that's what, that's what we're doing is, is we are sending ahead to college and universities uh, exactly who we are. We, we're using social media. Uh, we're using our physical presence. We're sending our charismatic uh, people out. Uh, we're using Pikes Peak like there's no tomorrow. <laughs> Uh, Amer- it's America's mountain. It is, <laughs> but I mean, I, t- truly, I'm 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 selling a, a lifestyle uh, to young teachers that I think that they might get to enjoy in ten years. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly, though, you get outside and have a great time in Colorado for for zero uh, cents mm-hmm. on the dollar. But the point uh, for that is is that we're really doing a lot outside of our state. When I do see it as our state's responsibility mm-hmm. to produce its own educators uh, for its kids and its schools. 
Then, like we've said before, I'm working on helping her find a place to live. Yeah, yeah. Very uh, similar to the international school yeah. experience where they kind of help you with all aspects of your life knowing you're coming to a new country. We've kind of adopted that in public education, knowing we're trying to get people just from another state. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And in addition to that, folks, we uh, in our school district are increasing salaries at the highest level we possibly can. We're being as competitive as anybody in the state in regard to medical benefits. We're doing everything to do what we call raising the floor, mm -hmm. meaning that you can start off in education and have a healthy lifestyle, an affordable lifestyle. We're also working very strongly on, on having the support systems in place from a district level to a school level, whereby we're really bringing people along, maybe in a traditional sense that businesses do in regard to not making the start so quick. But the truth of the matter is, that's one week in advance of having kids pop in. Mm -hmm. We don't have three or four months to help you get used to our our software or kind of yeah. work under a mentor for a while kind or, of welcome here's your laptop here's where the printer is here's the textbook kids will be here in 72 hours yeah yeah, yeah. um so not ideal no but we're trying to reduce some of those stresses by uh you know paying them an hourly wage to come for a week earlier and do a boot camp so that they're not learning from their colleagues, you know, yeah. how to use our information systems or our grading yeah. programs. And then that way we can really, when they come to our school, we can focus on getting to know them and helping to get them to know their colleagues and working on the things that they, when they were working for four years in college, that they were really thinking about, which is helping kids learn. Right. And so kind of going back to what you said, Brett, the, the heart and the reason behind why we created Schoolhouse Cracked, obviously, is to start to think about how you can fill in some of those cracks, right? Um, knowing that some of the problems we can't always fix, but we might be able to work with them. And so in this case, you know, we don't have any influence over how the state of Colorado funds public education, and as a result then funds teacher salaries, right? So obviously we're gonna be advocates for, for teachers and, and parents, you know, I, I can't tell you how many parents I've talked to that say we need to pay teachers more, and they don't understand all the kind of nuances that go into um, repealing different ballot initiatives and looking at the state constitution and funding formulas. And so that's not something, you know, the average teacher, parent, administrator has, it can have an impact on a day-to-day -day basis. But what you did talk about and something that was a common theme from the folks you met in Ireland and my buddy Serge, uh, the, the, the British head of school, was that they've all talked about community mm -hmm. and how that is something we can influence within our schools and, and within our classrooms and as, and as parents in our community. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't, I, I'm wondering what are the top things as we discuss. Um, let's put pay aside. That's, that's yes, you know, if, if, you're, if, if you're interested in those things, it is the public domain. It's probably your responsibility to know how schools are funded and how, how people are paid. It is your responsibility to know that if, you're, if your school is giving away a livable wage to, to meet the standard of living that's required of it. That's that point is now moot. Mm -hmm. we, 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 we know that if if we were in charge, it yes. would look very different. Yes, of, yeah. of course. And we're talking about limited resources. There's I don't think there's a school district in the United States of America that's trying to skim off of teachers and not give them what they deserve. What I'll, I'll say, though, is what what is what is what is it that you can do as a community member, as a parent, as a student uh, to make. Or as a veteran educator, welcoming in a new teacher. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, so number one is don't be fooled. You're not a helicopter parent. 
No. If you're involved in in your school, if you if you have time and you have very little time to lots of time, uh, be present. Uh, find out how you can get involved in your school. Is it helping to monitor the the cafeteria? Is it um, simply knowing the best way to do drop off and, and and having conversations in the neighborhood about how to do drop off and make those things uh, easier? Anything that could take away from a, a teacher's like extra duty to be in a place where they're not concentrating or getting focused on, on the teaching learning yeah. process. If you don't like the grading system, if you're not interested in the curriculum. Uh, this is a great country full of hardworking and, and unbelievably intelligent people. Get involved uh, in your school yeah. and, and get involved in, in your secondary schools. And if, if your kids don't like that, I can tell you with three teenagers, the last thing they want me to do is, is to show up and have conversations with their teachers and different things. But I'm the dad. Mm -hmm. and, and that's just what I tell them. Like, I care about your school. Like, we bought this house so you could go to these schools I'm going to be involved. So what I'll just say to folks out there is, is don't be afraid to email or call your school administration. Don't be afraid uh, to come in. I know we have security checks and badges and different things. Go in and have a conversation with the school counselor face-to-face -face if you feel comfortable. If not, mm -hmm. then Zoom in or whatever it takes. But, but have, have a presence. What you're going to find is that you trust and like your school more than you think you do mm -hmm. and, and, and back and forth. Well, and, and so that got me thinking about something. Um, it took me many years to kind of come up with a with a, a schema for how I thought about this. And, and as an administrator, as a as a counselor, as an educator working with parents, I always kind of thought about it as money in the bank, um, in a truly genuine way. Like you know, very often when the school calls home. It's usually not for good reasons, right? And so uh, we know a lot of great educators out there will always try to make some positive phone calls home or engage with parents um, at events and just say kind things about kids or, or share some positive learning experiences. And so uh, that was something I always kind of took to heart. And it really took me a few years to kind of refine that process. But every positive interaction I could have with a parent um, uh, in regard to their students or just them as a human being, um, really built that rapport so then when I did have to have maybe a negative conversation with them down the road, that trust had been, had been built. And it really took me leaving public ed and then just being an uncle of, of yeah. three great kids yeah. to realize yeah. it, it works the other way as well. And, and I started thinking about some of the parents that I had built the best relationships with over my career. And some of it was because I was doing those things. But also, a lot of it was because the parents were doing those exact same things to me. Yeah. The parents were just reaching out to me and engaging with me, um, just th general FYI, finding out information, just saying, you know, hey, thanks, my kid said uh, you had a great session with you today, or my kid said he loved your class today, um, or thanks for supervising that event. And so kind of that two-way street. And yeah. so once I started to see that, um, it's something I started doing with my nieces and my nephew is uh, the school they attend, it's a charter school, but they do a really good job of recognizing kids. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that takes time. That's, that's teachers and administrators staying you know, multiple nights a week to hold these events to recognize kids that parents, parents and family members can come. And so I just would go out of my way to just say, hey, thank you for recognizing my nephew. You know, I really yeah. appreciate it. It means more than you know. And they have no idea I'm a I was a public educator. I, wor I worked in education. And so it was those little things I felt that built community. I, I didn't always feel that it meant sitting on your parent-teacher organization, which is, if you want to be involved in that way, absolutely. absolutely. Like, as a principal, I love that. Um, but those smaller, more organic moments where you just run into each other at a volleyball game yeah. or uh, at the pickup and drop-off line, multiple of those exchanges, money in the bank, will allow you to make that withdraw when things do maybe get negative because that, tr that mutual trust has been established. And so 
for a young teacher, retaining a young teacher, or even retaining a veteran teacher, um, when there's too many withdraws, they're running a negative balance. Yeah. Yeah, I love the analogy, and I'll, I'll just add to that two components. One is if it's, if it's tough and you're not happy, also communicate. When, yeah, as you were speaking, I was thinking about some of the, the, the stronger bonds I have as parents as an assistant principal. Mm. Um, and they are really because we've walked down the road with their child together for a period of time. Right. And that's, that's including them being critical of me or our school or our teachers. But as, as long as we're walking down it together and they're still communicating, still calling, mm-hmm. not hanging up, saying, I need this, maybe letting us know a positive thing that's going on with them at home. Like, Hey, if we're having a hard time with your kid in our classroom and you love your kid and, and, and it's not going well, email the teacher and say, hey, it's their birthday yeah. tomorrow. Like, g- give us something that we can't see. School is hard. Mm, School is really hard on kids. That's something you and I have agreed upon since day one. It's eight. Well, at our school next year, it'll be eight to eight to four o'clock. That's a long day for it, a sixth grade. It sure <laughs> is. It's it's a long day for, for a forty-five-year-old. <laughs> I'm just gonna say, it and everybody knows it, to have a you know five-minute passing yeah. period, or to I mean, teachers running down the hallway during passing periods to go to the bathroom, emailing the administrators or the secretarial staff if they can go to the bathroom so that their their kids are watched. We don't often get to see always, especially if your kid doesn't love school, and if your kid doesn't love school, that just means they're a kid what's going great with them yeah so that we can help build that rapport because folks it comes down to this we're talking about teacher retention it simply means teachers believing in their efficacy that the efforts that they make have a positive impact on kids that's what pays the bills in the bank that dr motor chandler is talking about and we need your help sometimes in filling that up and so that goes back to that sense of community is you know to use an over overused analogy um and and you know it takes a village right yeah and and i i always kind of get irked when i hear that but what it really means is it just takes everybody being involved like parents are interacting with teachers teachers are interacting with with parents administrators are having those positive relationships um but one of the things i i did want to talk about brett and it's been on a lot of my mind over the last couple years um for a variety of reasons is once we get a good young teacher or, or even just a new teacher from out of state with a lot of experience, how do we keep them? And there's been a lot of, a, a lot of things in the literature um, over the years just regarding mentorship programs. And, and st- some states mandate mentorship programs and having to go through some type of formal process to get a professional license. And, and it got, it, it, all this formal, formal process has really just got me thinking about whether I'm a formal mentor to somebody or whether I'm not, how have I actually legitimately helped and supported and mentored somebody new to my building and, and what are the times I've actually failed miserably and, and missed some of those items a, as a colleague and I uh, you know I I had a, a mentee over the last couple of years um, that really struggled and I was kind of thinking about well what could I have done differently um, and, and and we talk about training those mentors to support new teachers but then just w- without those formal processes you know, think back to when you were a young teacher. What made you want to stay at your school? Because your first school you were at for, I think, what? 11 years. years. Yeah, 11, 11 years, years. yeah. And, and so some of that is, one, you liked the job. Two, you felt connected to the community. But three, at some point it meant you liked your colleagues. Yeah, absolutely, a thousand percent. And that's a, a great question, and it's a really important one. This, this is where I'm just going to ask teachers. Uh, 
please tune in. Please, please send those emails. Yeah. Please comment on YouTube. Please, please tell us and tell others what it is uh, that you need, that what, what you're really missing. You know what I think. I've always said this, and I believe it not just as an educator, but just as a person. Adults are just grown-up kids. Mm. And so what it meant for me was that I had good people around me. I, they became my friends. For, for 11 years, the happy hours I went to were, were not with my best friend from growing up, it was, you know, we call it Friday Afternoon Club, FAC. Choir practice, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the truth of the matter is, is that developing relationships with my colleagues and, and you know, I always use that phrase. It's from an Ohio State football coach's book, You Win With People. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that really works with, with teachers is surrounding them by good people. I hate to say it, folks, but we, sometimes we have to pull the weeds. If an adult is great with kids, but they are not kind and generous to their colleagues, then eventually... They're going to wear thin on the culture and in the building. So we, we want, uh, number one is is hire good people and and help nurture relationships. Those, those PLCs, those playing periods, those different things, making sure teachers know that they can take moments to warm up and be with each other and that they, they should do some of those things that we do with kids in order to be connected with each other. Uh, the other part is, is I don't know if I'm an adequate mentor uh, for all people, I, I do gravitate. Uh, my personality does with some versus others. I do think administrators need to recognize when somebody else is better for a teacher yeah, absolutely. than they are. Mm. And so I can share in my responsibilities with my other colleagues the connections that I – do I want to have a perfect connection with all of the teachers that I work with or that I evaluate? Absolutely. It's just, but that's just not the nature of human connection. No, right? it's not. But I will say to administrators right now, don't be too big for your britches. Find the person that does connect with them, that makes them feel comfortable and brings the best out of them and get them together. Mm-hmm. Put yourself on, on the sideline yeah. when, when you need to and be thoughtful about how you can utilize your veteran staff um, or just people who've earned it by merit quickly mm-hmm. to make connections with people. They do need to pull into that parking lot and know that they're not alone, mm-hmm. that there's a connection between them and several others inside that building so you retain people by making sure they feel appreciated yeah absolutely and and some of the things that I, that have stood out to me when i've been the happiest in a job in public education and when i've been the most unhappy um sometimes more often than not it really had nothing to do with something specific at the job right it, it every job every school is going to have its problems and every school is going to have things that are going great um, what I found to be the most impactful for me is when we would go to those time, those Friday after classes, those choir practices, those happy hours, um, or when you just have those those moments in the hallway during passing period where you're talking to your classmate friend, and, and you're dwelling on the negativity of the job. Is there negativity within any job? Absolutely. Um, but really being more mindful about discussing things outside of our job that are personal in nature. So getting to know you as a colleague and things that that you're passionate about outside of school and vice versa um beyond the superficial like how was your weekend like it's gonna snow this weekend things like that um but like talking about vacations that are coming up talking about um the hike you had yesterday after school and and so i uh, even to this day with my background and experience will still find myself sometimes and and i've been guilty of this with you when we work together bringing up negativity about work or bringing up an issue at work and spending our free time just dwelling and digging through that Um, and so really having to be mindful about separating that. And so sometimes as a mentor, whether formal or informal, I, I failed in that regard for those I've mentored in that I spend too much time 
helping them through through something they're struggling with at work, which is a piece of that mentorship, but then also just investing in them as a human being outside of the role of educator. Yeah, that brings up two thoughts for me. One is just to actually thank you. Something you said to me, uh, so Marcus was a mentor for me when I first started in administration. And one of the things that he shared with me that had a context, which I'm sure was a tough conversation for him, is nobody wants to hear their boss complain. (laughs) And no, that was legitimately career changing for me Mm -hmm. because teachers are working hard. Mm -hmm. And even if they're not working hard enough or or like I used to think I I worked or or whatever else, what I'm not going to do is tell them what's on my plate. Mm -hmm. Uh, I need to be present for their challenge and to help them deal with their challenge, whether it's a be a big boy and pull your pants up, or whether it's, hey, I think I have some solutions, or I'd like to hear your solution, whatever it is, it's still that presence that what they're doing is extremely important and that it matters. Um, you know, the other uh, piece is, is we have each other's backs, particularly in public. Mm-hmm. If, if I need to talk to a teacher about how I feel like they're treating a kid or how they treat all kids, or it, whether or not they're following the curriculum, whatever the myriad of things are that I need to speak about a teacher, I am publicly and in front of their colleagues and in front of our community going to support them to the largest extent as possible. Absolutely. And then I'm going to help them through it uh, behind, it, a closed, door. behind yeah. closed doors. Absolutely. That's a part of retention because they don't need to think that they have to hit a home run in every at bat. Mm-hmm. You've, you've heard me say this analogy before. We're not ER doctors. Yeah. We're teachers. You can have a crappy lesson. Let's not do it all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe let's kind of try something out. It's really important to help the kids learn uh, tomorrow. But I don't want a teacher to think because I've seen them uh, poorly plan or poorly execute that that's the, the end-all, be-all for them. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, that reminds me of saying my, my dad, and as a result, my grandpa used to tell him and told me, is it takes a thousand data boys to make up for one oh shit. Yeah. And and in this regard, when when a colleague or an administrator does put somebody on blast in a public setting, it's gonna take a thousand interactions to to counteract that and to rebuild that trust and that rapport. Um, but so like you said, that's I like that is you know, we we're always gonna support folks publicly, um, support our colleagues publicly, but when you need to have a tough conversation, that's one on one behind a closed door. Um, I, I do wanna circle back uh, to a bit about um, about recruitment, which I does think, uh, what, which I do think plays out in retention in regard to what you just said. And we both have a good friend. Um, we all came up as administrators together. Uh, him and I became principals at two different schools at the same time. And we were really just over beers uh, after school one day, just talking about just general philosophy, just kind of spitballing it. And we just kind of were talking. You hire good people. Mm-hmm. For the most part, we can teach you to plan a lesson we can teach you how to um, uh, question students during class we can teach you to engage students meaningfully build relationships um, but we can't teach you to be a good person yeah. and, and so when when you're looking for good people and you hire good people honoring those good people and then their colleagues who are good people recognizing their good people colleagues yeah and so that that kind of and and this goes back to something We've talked about in a variety of different ways in a couple different schools is kind of that culture of support and a culture of kindness and and hiring character yeah um and so that's that really plays out and so that's that changed my philosophy in my own hiring is it's hard to assess character in an interview it absolutely is um but uh if if you prioritize that over um some other different just rote pedagogical 
items and you find enough of those good people, you can really make some good things happen. And we've, we've seen that in a variety of schools. Yeah, we, we talk about it frequently. It's no, mm-hmm. longer, it's no longer secret. I'll just say it to the public. That I mm-hmm. wish in my head everybody's out there listening. Everybody cares about what we're talking about, just mm-hmm. so you know. Yeah. <laughs> but, but no, I'll just say it. Your content expertise mm-hmm. is absolutely secondary mm-hmm. by far to whom you are with kids and adults, what mm-hmm. kind of person you are. At the end of the day, uh, you know, I got into it at, a, at another school with uh, some biology teachers, our biology mm-hmm. department at a large school, basically. Mm-hmm. 60% of kids had Ds or Fs by the middle of, uh, at, in the first quarter. Mm-hmm. And they were like, they have to know this. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't know it. They have to know it. Kids these days. And I know kids these days. I have three of them <laughs> in my home. And you better believe kids these days. It's a real thing. Yeah. But at the end of the day, has said every generation for the last thousand years, <laughs> right? But I'm not going to tease any teacher about saying it because I'm I deal You're with it. it. Yeah. What it. I'll say though, what I said to them is, no, they don't. They're like, they have to be able to use a microscope going to college. I'm like, no, they don't. They're like, what do you mean? I'm like, I don't know. Here I am. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how to use a microscope. You know, the, yeah. the point of the matter is, is do kids want to go to, the, to their biology classes? Mm-hmm. Are they interested in learning it? At 15 years old, if you're retaining what you've learned in high school biology in regard to, to being a biologist later on, then I'll call myself wrong. The only thing I really want to happen is for them to have an interest in life science. Yeah, absolutely. And so it is. Let's just, people, we're going to hire good people. We're not going to hire the content experts because at the end of the day, they come across 150 kids mm-hmm. living in America's culture right now where people get shot on the 4th of July at a parade or where we post signs up all over the place like declaring our ideologies, mm-hmm. which are conflicting and, and tension-filled. Mm-hmm. And all I want our kids to know is, is that come on into the schoolhouse. Mm-hmm. We're going to work hard. We're going to do our best, and we're going to enjoy being with each other. Yeah. And so that's kind of where that that pivots towards some of the, the ways in which we've seen leadership in schools and leadership in school districts fail. And, and that's something I'm, I've been very passionate about over the years and in looking at leadership administration and some of, some of my own academic work is the ways in which we fail a, as leaders and when we're, not, we're no longer prioritizing relationship rapport building. Yes, they need to have some instructional knowledge um, and expertise, especially at the secondary level. Um, but when an organization becomes so fearful or so power-driven that they they hire and they promote based off of compliance. Um, and so you're no longer prioritizing the right things. You're, you're hiring people who are just going to say yes and, and do what they're told. And, uh, and, and it goes back to some of the research I've read um, when uh, there was an analysis of entrepreneurs, um, business, uh, high-achieving business folks, iconoclasts, mm-hmm. And, uh, and they were looking at them on the big five, the big five personality traits. And, uh, and, and there's some common themes about running and leading an in, in organization. But one of the things that came out for the most successful people is they actually have a level of disagreeableness. Yeah. A- and so when I talk about good character, um, hiring great teachers in that regard, and then putting them around other good people, um, I also want to stipulate that, that we're also looking for some disagreeableness. We yeah. want them to be able to feel safe and feel comfortable bringing up concerns for the betterment of the school and the student's experience. Um, and so that's something I, I've unfortunately seen recently in, in some schools and some school districts is they're really just looking for people that will, that'll be yes men, smile and nod. Ultimately, there's no great idea 
in those organizations that doesn't come from the head of the organization. Yeah. And we know those organizations fail time and again. Yeah. And so when you're hiring good people and that feedback can go up and they feel valued in providing that feedback and safe in providing that feedback, that's when an organization thrives. And I think when a teacher feels validated and vindicated in that way, that they can provide that feedback for school improvement, that's another thing that helps people stay. Yeah. And so I, uh, you know this about me, and, and this is something I've always appreciated about you. We don't always have to be the ones with the ideas. Mm -hmm. If you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. Mm -hmm. So putting yourself in a room with great educators of good character that are passionate and engaged and valuing their ideas and implementing their ideas. Um, so I think that's one of the great ways to retain teachers. And I see a lot of teachers leave school districts because their leadership doesn't do that. Yeah, and I'll say this to school leaders, uh, district leaders, and the community. And you know this uh, with your academic background, more beyond philosophy and in the, the science. Yeah. You, you get good at what you measure. Mm -hmm. So what, what are you measuring? Are your state test scores or are ki the kids' grades or all these mm -hmm. kind of like easy report out things the way you're evaluating your teachers? Is this the way that you're showing value and deciding leadership? Or is it on the quality of experience that they're providing? So families, I'll ask you, ask your kid what they're enjoying about school, what they're learning and what they're doing. Get beyond the grades yeah. and find out about the experience. And if they're having a good, safe experience or they're being challenged, like ask more questions about what they're learning. Do, I, do they want to get out of that conversation really easy? Absolutely. <laughs> but, a, but ask and find out. And district leaders, I'll say this too. I have. It, I'll just say this: if my, if my, anybody from our district is watching it, it's a okay with me. You haven't shown me a piece of data in the last six years that changed how I operate as a leader in your school district. I am looking at our teachers who are satisfied, mm -hmm. who help kids when they need help, who help kids really understand their learning, so that the students can be involved in saying what they need when it comes to learning. And I want to make sure that they feel safe and cared for. Mm -hmm. If I'm measuring those things, then those test scores and different things will, will come out and they'll matter. Yeah, but if, if the value of your school is some shallow data that you don't totally understand or know how it was even gathered. And then post it on your website. Right. Then yeah. you're not going to retain your teachers. Yeah. Well, and so that's – I'm glad you brought that up, Brett, because one of the things I've seen, um, again, recently in two different organizations is uh, – their involved teachers involvement in decision making in curriculum so uh, you brought up the question parents ask your kids uh, i would say parents ask your kids who's your favorite teacher and why mm -hmm. and i will guarantee you 100 percent of the time your kids are not going to say their favorite teacher is x social studies teacher x math teacher because they really implement the curriculum with fidelity <laughs> um, or they really adhere to the textbook and the supporting resources um they're going to they're going to go to that relationship and, and, and we've heard it a hundred times over when when a student has a relationship with a, with a teacher they'll run through a wall for that mm -hmm. teacher um and, and so i we know that math is the majority of students least favorite subject but how often have we worked with math teachers where that's the kid's favorite teacher. It has nothing to do with math. A kid that would otherwise hate math yeah. and not necessarily engage is doing serviceably well in math because that teacher's invested in them and has built relationships and rapport. And this is not to throw the curriculum or the learning evidence out with the baby in the bathwater. No. What this is simply saying to, to uh, students and families and school districts is that there is an order of operations. Yes. And there is an amount of time you spend on things. Absolutely. Have a guaranteed and viable curriculum. And if they go through that guaranteed and viable curriculum, if they engage in it and they engage in it because they know that they're safe and they're cared for, the outcomes are there. 
they're, they're already Absolutely. they're already waiting. Uh, but what we have come through in, a long, in our time in education is we've seen significant increases in the quality of curriculum. It used mm-hmm. to be textbooks. Yeah. It's now Here's cur- your textbook. Right. Yeah. It's now curriculum. We've got legislators working with university officials, working with people in industry, mm-hmm. working with teachers. Like in the state of Colorado and in states all across the country, we've really lined up our learning standards. Mm-hmm. Now find the people to help them learn. Yep. Absolutely. And keep them. I think that's a great succinct way of putting it is we don't need to necessarily worry about what exists for student learning now. It's about finding good people and keeping them. Um, so that being said, like none of this is intended to say uh, the teacher shortage or people are leaving because they're not good people, right? Yeah. We know, Like we said in our last episode, there's a lot of uh, variables that are causing people to leave. But again, going back to the impetus behind our podcast is what do we do as as Joe Schmo in a school for our colleagues or as administrators. And so um, that's that's really kind of things I've been thinking a lot about lately. Um, and, and how do we pour into our colleagues and how do we pour into those we lead? And sometimes in administrative roles, how do we protect those we lead from things that are out of touch? Yeah, and I'll just say it in this way. It's fill in the hole in the donut. Teachers, I'm still going to get you donuts and bagels. You deserve that <laughs> as often as we can. But what's what's missing in the donut is is the whole how do I fill in that gap mm-hmm. as an administrator? What is it that you really need to feel connected to our school community, to know that kids appreciate you, to know that you're seen, and to know that you're valuable? I gotta go beyond the bagel. I gotta fill it in. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, thank you for tuning in. This was a kind of a follow up to our previous episode three on the teacher sh- shortage and turnover. As we said in that episode, we know this is going to be an ongoing conversation in a variety of our episodes um, over over multiple years. So this will be a topic we're going to be revisiting. So uh, I do want to invite the audience, parents, uh, the question Brett posed, um, teachers, administrators that are watching uh, or listening. Um, send us your thoughts. What, what keeps you staying at your school? Um, what keeps you uh, in, in invested in that process, knowing we're going through really challenging times right now in public education? Or what pushed you out? And what do you want? And send us your thoughts. Send us your comments. We'll share them in our next episode. uh, Schoolhousecracked at gmail.com. Comment on our social media. Be sure to like and subscribe on YouTube and download us on any of the podcast applications. In our next episode, this is pretty timely because here in about two weeks, we're going to begin preseason. We're going to be talking about school athletics. Mm -hmm. Um, So the experiences as educators, the experiences as parents, and ultimately what has become a billion-dollar industry in the United States uh, for student-athletes. Thank you for tuning in to Schoolhouse Cracked. With me, as always, was Mr. Brett Derrickson. And Dr. Motor Chandler, my good friend and colleague. We'll see you real soon. Have a good one.